G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. The Gospel of John is written to show and to prove, beyond any doubt, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of David, soon-coming King. He is also the Son of God. And, as Bob Gass famously put it, he had to be God to save us, he had to be man to die for us. So, we are having a lesson based on John 7, verses 25 to 36, called Controversy at the Feast. And Jesus, of course, is attending the feast, in a sense, minding his own business, but in another sense, fulfilling his call to teach people and to feed them with the Word of God. But instead of appreciating his authoritative and very accurate teaching, as well as his miraculous anointing, the religious elite are giving him a hard time. And of course, he's no shrinking violet. He can give it out as good as he gets. So we will have a lesson here called Controversy at the Feast. Which feast are we talking about? Feast of Tabernacles, the Autumn Feast, pilgrimage feast, where Jewish people from all over the country, and indeed from all over the diaspora, came to observe the feast, as was commanded in the Law of Moses. It's not a single day. It lasts for a week, and they stay in booths that they have made themselves to remember the sojourn of the children of Israel in the wilderness during the time of Moses. And so, with this controversy at the feast... Let's read a few verses and get a feel for what this is all about. Verse 28, Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. Why is Jesus crying out in the temple? It's because people are divided on who he is, and they're talking supposedly under their breath, but now more and more openly. Have we figured out who this guy really is? Is he the Messiah that has been promised to us from centuries before, or is he just somebody else, a man that thinks he's important? Who is he? Of course, the religious leadership had already decided not only Was he not the Messiah? Not only was he not from God, but they hated him so much they wanted to destroy him. And in fact, they succeeded to do that, so they thought. Because within no time at all, he will be on the cross. He Basically, the Gospel of John, half of it, the latter half, 
is based on the last week of Jesus's life. So we haven't gotten to there yet, but it's soon coming. Oh, he's saying they know him and they know where he comes from. He's probably not meaning that seriously, perhaps a little more sarcastically, because of course they don't know him. They don't know anything about him, except that he is a very special man, or as it's been said, no man spake like this man. He goes on to say that the one who sent him, who these people don't know, is Almighty God. And what God says is true. But Jesus says, I know him because I came from him and he sent me to this planet. So because he's making such a claim, they sought to grab him, but nobody laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. The Kairos time was not yet. The appointed opportune time. But what we know is this. In this particular lesson, they will seek to kill him. He will respond. He will affirm that he is sent by God and that he knows God. And as we've learned, they'll fail in their attempt to seize him. Many will believe in him. And then there will be talk again of seizing him. But it's not yet. So where is he going to go? And what is he going to do? His opponents ultimately are utterly confused. Now we're going to read from the entire portion of John chapter 7, verses 25 to 36. The lesson is called Controversy at the Feast. From John chapter 7, 25 to 36. Friends, this is God's word, so let's listen carefully. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Good question. The reading is from John seven twenty-five to 36, and our lesson is called Controversy at the Feast. Well, it gets even more thorny than what it's been before, but remember, all this is written for our benefit, to inspire us, to bless us, to open our eyes, to let the scales fall off, to have our, the stone rolled away from our hearts, 
and of course our minds open as well to the truth of the gospel and of the Savior, namely Jesus. So let's begin with verse 25 and 26. Jesus tried to avoid Judea because of the threat to his life, especially since his time had not yet come, and he didn't want a premature exit from this world. Yet, he does make an appearance halfway through the Feast of Tabernacles and begins to teach in the temple compound. To the general crowd, they had no idea that the religious elite wanted to kill Jesus. However, the Jerusalem Jews were aware of the murderous sentiment of their leaders. Therefore, as they see Jesus boldly teaching in the most spacious and public place in the ancient world, the Temple Mount, built by Herod the Great, they ask the question, isn't this the one they seek to kill? If so, why does he come teaching boldly and they say nothing to him? Have the rulers concluded that he is the Christ after all? Short answer, no. His authority intimidated them, but his time had not yet come. And then in verse 27 comes the reply, we know where he's from. The Jerusalem crowd makes the statement, we know where this man is from. Most likely, they thought he was, of course, Jesus of Nazareth, not expecting the place from where Jesus really came from. Because when the real Messiah comes, no one will know from where he came. There was a basic notion that Messiah would just suddenly appear out of nowhere and no one would know his origin. So what does Jesus say in response to their reasoning and rationalizing and human, as it were, sentiment? Jesus responds in verse 28 of John 7, Oh yes, you know me and from where I came. As I said, this could have been sarcasm because the crowds were relatively ignorant about these details. I didn't come of my own accord, says Jesus. He who sent me, namely the Father in heaven, is true. But you don't know him, and for that matter, you don't know me either. However, verse 29, I know him. Because Jesus contrasts their ignorance with his knowledge. I know God, for I came from him, and he sent me to this planet. So, Jesus is basically equating himself to be God. I came from him. I know him. I'm going back to him. Nobody can make that claim. Not even Moses, not even Elijah, none of the great prophets, but Christ can. And the fact that God is validating his claims with signs and wonders, with discourses, with the I am statements, with the five witnesses, all of this is overwhelming evidence that Jesus really is the promised Messiah of Israel and the world. So then, at that moment, there was an impulse to seize him. I mean, how dare he equate himself to God? But they didn't do it. No one dare touch him. Why? His hour had not yet come. Friends, when you're flowing in the things of God, with the anointing, with the authority that comes from the Word, and from the infilling of the Holy Spirit, people will actually think twice before they make a move. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be criticized or persecuted or misunderstood or rejected, but as far as serious confrontation, chances are you will avoid a lot of that because of the authority that's on your life. Jesus, of course, 
they argued with him, they criticized him, they insulted him, but when it came time to lay hands on him, they just didn't do it. And especially not in a public place where, because the crowds may have sided with Jesus, then they would have a tumult, perhaps even a riot, and then the Romans would come down like a ton of bricks, and basically they'd be in serious hot water. So think of it this way. When they finally did seize Jesus, it's because his hour had come, but also because he was in a secret and known place, and the traitor made it possible for the seizure, because he knew where Jesus would be, and he actually knew which one of the the twelve would Jesus be from, because of course the traitor was the twelfth, he's gone missing to bring the authorities to arrest Jesus, so Jesus is the twelfth man. They probably weren't 100% sure which one he was, but, of course, Judas would make that plain. Jesus says many believed on him. In fact, he speaks, and his words cause faith to rise up. Verse 31 of John 7. Despite the controversy, many Jewish people believed in Jesus. They even made this comment. When Messiah comes, will he do more miracles than what this man has performed? And the answer is no, he won't, because the man at the center of the tension and of controversy is the Messiah himself. That's why he's called Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ. May I reiterate, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Both mean the anointed one, the anointed of the anointed. Nobody is more anointed than him, and all of us derive our anointing from him. Verse 32 of John 7. Now the Pharisees overheard these affirmative comments about Jesus, and to say the least, they were greatly alarmed. We can't let this continue on. If this continues on and we don't stop it, the whole multitude will be after him. The Romans will come, wonder what's going on, and then... We could lose our place. We could lose our nation. We will be in serious trouble. So what do they do? They sent officers to arrest him. But it's not going to happen. Not at this point. Because the Kairos time had not yet come. So then we learn in verse 33. Jesus says that he will be with them for a little while longer. And then he will go unto him that sent him. Now, for us today, we should be able to understand this clearly. Yes, Jesus, shortly, would be delivered up to death. He would be crucified. He would shed his blood and break his body for our sins. He would rise again on the third day. According to the scriptures, he would ascend to heaven. So, this was all going to happen in a little while. In a little while, he's still with the people. And then in a little while, he won't be because he's returning to the one who sent him. But that will not be the end of the story. He actually goes to be the one with the one who sent him, because he's going to dispatch the Holy Spirit to the church, and by extension, to the world. There are compelling reasons for Jesus to return back to the Heavenly Father who sent him. Another reason, he's our great high priest, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is to take his place at the right hand of God till all his enemies are under his feet. Verse 34 of John 7. 
the Lord continues that though they seek after him, they will not find him. And where he is going, they cannot come. Now, of course, where is he going? He's going to heaven. Of course, they're not going to heaven. They don't believe. They reject. They're full of murderous intentions. I mean, when you are offered the gospel of eternal grace and love and salvation, and you not only reject that gospel, but you reject the bearer of that gospel, the Son of God, what atonement for your sins can you have after that? It's a serious, serious issue. And so they cannot come to heaven unless, of course, they repent, confess their sins, believe and receive the Savior. So, of course, Jesus is speaking a language different to what they understand. So, therefore, they're not sure what he's talking about. But he is talking about heaven, and they can't go there. John 7.35, to the Gentiles. Then the Jews spoke among themselves, where is he going that we will not find him? And then they reason, will he go among the Gentiles and teach them? Now remember, to go to the Gentiles or to the nations, or in Hebrew, the goyim. Goyim is a pejorative term. And that's why as Christians, we must never refer to ourselves as Gentiles because, well, we're not heathen. <laughs> we are Christians. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Bible of the Jewish people is our Bible too. But, of course, the term Christian wasn't coined at that point. It would happen later in the book of Acts. So to go among the Gentiles is a no-go zone for pious Jews. But eventually, that's exactly what the Jewish apostles would do, especially Paul from Tarsus. They were thoroughly confused. Final verse, John seven thirty-six. The reasoning, rationalizing mind of the Jewish leadership went into overdrive. What does this man mean? You will seek for me and not find me. Where I go, you cannot come. They were basically entering into a lather because they were so confused. But anyway, our lesson is called Controversy at the Feast. No wonder they're having this confusion. And our lesson for life is this. Like Jesus, no one can touch us apart from God's timing and will, provided we stay in His will as well. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.